Recorded in the comfy confines of the Auto Media Group Studios, we bring you the Get Deep Podcast, part of the Connect Podcast Network. Join friends and business owners, Aaron Jones and Wes Otto, as they bring forth stories of guests who are movers and shakers in their industries and beyond. Yeah, I suppose depositions aren't that different, but they're probably not quite as wild, wild west as what we've got going on here. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a great way to kick this off. Cheers. There you Cheers go, boys. Cheers. Again. Yeah. Thanks, Chance. Yes, of course, of course. Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Get Deep Podcast tonight. We're so happy to be here once again, weekly like we have been doing for so long. Uh, and tonight on the Get Deep Podcast, we have David Kim with us. And that is a beautiful sound, Wesley. Loving it already. He, he just filled his wine glass up to the top of the rim. I'll be I think honest, he's I, expecting this to be a fantastic night. I so. had a meeting before this, and this is my third glass of wine already, so we'll see how this goes. Well, luckily you got a couch in the office. This Hopefully is good. Hopefully that had nothing to do with any <laughs> lawyer or anything. No, not this glass of wine. <laughs> <laughs> Next one, maybe. <laughs> no, we've got David Kim on the podcast, and this is... Well, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for coming on. You're... Uh, you're a hyper intelligent dude, so no pressure because I'm giving you that intro. But it's been fun oh to God. wheel and deal with you in the boardroom at GMG and get to know you better that way, as well as outside of the boardroom having cocktails. And, um, you know, I don't feel like I actually know that much about you, though, David, outside of kind of the professional setting. So this will be really interesting to, to get to know your background and see. We, you know, how you ended up in Mankato and, and your professional story and all of that. Sure. Well, thank you so much for the invitation. Uh, yes, I mean, that's a good way to kickstart it, I guess. Um, yeah, I would like to get to know you as well, and Aaron, uh, a little bit more uh, in-depth and deeper, and how you guys ended up being at your professional career and business entrepreneurship and such. Yeah. Everybody has it, their own little, small, but pretty yeah. unique, valuable stories to to share, I guess. Well, and I guess this podcast is all about that. Right. And you're the lawyer, so you're used to asking the questions, right? Well, so <laughs> sounds like this is upside down situation. <laughs> we can actually run it that way for a second and then see how it goes. Yeah. Maybe I will just conquer the whole podcast. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> now it's a competition. Start like the it. version number two. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> but. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, Jones and I, we so we had episode one of mm-hmm. the podcast. So for folks that are listening now that maybe don't know about Aaron and I, they can go back and take a listen to that. But, you know, we're due for another episode, too, and I think we're probably going to do one uh, as we get closer to the 100 episode mark. But my story is I was born into small business. So parents uh, owned and operated Zan's Mexican restaurant since before I was born and grew up in that small business environment, knew that I loved the food, knew that I loved the customers, knew that I didn't love cooking. (laughs) And so... It wasn't the business that I wanted to spend all my time in. Went to college, studied marketing, had a lot of marketing projects, ended up launching this ad agency with a business partner uh, in 2016. And from there, just kind of, you know, bobbed and weaved and and built the thing up to where it is today. And it's been a fun ride. Now we've got Connect Business Magazine and we acquired another firm that does design work and things like that. And so... Just growing and and seeing where it takes us. Mm-hmm. What an awesome pathway! At your, like, you're young. I mean, 
there are miles and miles of runways to actually go from here. That's the hopes. <laughs> yes, yes. He's, yeah. do, he's doing cool things for, for his age. That's absolutely correct, David. Uh, he turns the big 3-0 this year. In wow. November, by the way, for Dude. those of you listening, watching, doing all the things, and to Dave. There yeah. we go. <clears throat> uh, early November, Wesley's birthday, big 3-0. That's wow. right. Yeah. You love when I tell people that, don't you? I, it doesn't doesn't bother me <laughs> at all. To me, it's just another day. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, happy yeah. birthday, cool. Wes. We'll have, to, we'll have to celebrate yeah. that. Um, well, David, I'm, I'm from Mankato, born and raised. Um, from here, went to Mankato West and uh, graduated 2004, which makes me 37. Um, and uh, left for college, went to UMD in Duluth. I really loved it up there. Beautiful place. Studied, did my generals up there, transferred back to Mankato, um, just wanted to be closer to family and to home. And with that came the opportunity to start working in the business, which I currently am a partner in, which is Jay Long's here in Mankato. Mm-hmm. Um, just kind of kept working my way up the ranks, learning and getting to know a lot of people in the community, making connections, which I think is super important to both Wes and I, especially. Um, and uh, just kept working my way up, got offered to buy into that business 14 years ago, been there for 17 years total. And said yes. Wow. Twenty-two years old, twenty-three, somewhere in there. Thought, damn, that sounds sexy to be a business owner. I'll do that. Damn right. And then you realize there's a lot more to it than just a title. Uh, so I've learned a lot in the last fourteen years for sure. But thankfully, blessing, it's uh, it's working out. We have a really successful business these, these days. Thank mm. you for being a client, by the way. Um, Absolutely loving going to J Long. Thank you. Thank you so much. And uh, so here we are today. I've got a beautiful wife and two kids and laid roots in Mankato and hope to continue to do cool things with Wes on the podcast. Yeah, Sounds so great. So um, we gave the short version. You have to give the long version. (laughs) I will try not to. We kind of call it. No, you need to. We kind of call it origin story, David. So if you want to kind of start like where were you born and kind of the upbringing, if you can start there, it helps people kind of know background. Sure. I guess, as you probably noticed, that I'm a tad bit older than you guys. Ah, Not too much, but then just a little bit. So I was born in South Korea, originally from um, South Korea, obviously, uh, born in Seoul. Um, Probably it might be too boring to go through all the details of it. But then one thing that I can share is that when I was in high school, my passion and drive was rock. Rock so music. rock li- rock was the reason why I was living and the rest of uh, academic side of it or other life was kind of a, uh, you know, like plus or uh, ancillary component of it. So uh, when John Bottom died, I don't exactly remember what year it was, say 1981 or something. So now I just... Totally revealed my secrets out here. <laughs> so I was listening to one of the radio stations at the time, and then the radio host was pronouncing the sad news of his death. And then, so that was a pretty uh, deep, sad, sad moment for those uh, rockers at the time, I believe, throughout the entire world. John Bonham was the drummer for Led Zeppelin, mm-hmm. and uh, obviously, the story always goes. A uh, rock and roll star has to die out of a plane crash, which is exactly what happened to John Bonham at the time. So um, I lived my life at the time, uh, had my own small band uh, playing electric guitar. <clears throat> so Gary Moore, 
uh, you know, do you guys know Gary Moore at all? Blues <laughs> guitar player, one of the legendary, strongest guitar players. Uh, but then, unfortunately, he died out of a lung cancer three years ago, I believe. Uh, similar to Ed Van Halen, <coughs> who mm -hmm. passed away last year. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, had a small band basically covering all of those great 80s rock songs and uh, heavy metal songs. So Deep Purple, Led Zeppelin, Alice Cooper, um, and obviously uh, Black Sabbath and uh, Ozzy Osbourne. Uh, well, actually, another great rock rocker who ended up uh, dying around the same time was, was Randy Rose, who mm -hmm. was another great guitar player for Ozzy. Um, so... The, uh, my earlier life was packed with my passion inside of the music, especially on the like a speedy, uh, high tone, uh, distorted guitar sounds. I was so fascinated by those uh, sound making machines and people and um, the human nature behind the whole tones. Yeah. So as someone that also appreciates music, I... I could easily see myself falling into it if I was more musically gifted myself. I'm not particularly good on an instrument, but I'm curious with you, uh, you know, everyone, maybe not everyone, but a lot of people appreciate music. What was it for you that got you to actually pick up a guitar? Like, was that just your own interest because of what you were listening to? Or did you have someone else that was maybe a role model for you in that? Or, you know, what was your introduction to starting to play yourself? So, actually, it was Hotel California, the solo part. Eagles, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And then, so when that song came out, I mean, obviously, late 1970s, a lot of people, uh, even my, a lot of my friends, it's a great song. Everybody Fantastic. loves the intro, especially mm -hmm. the acoustic guitar. Mm -hmm. But then a lot of people got bored when that, <laughs> the guitar solo kicks in, and they're then tasteless. it's a long guitar they're solo. They're tasteless people, so we don't, oh, we don't want to associate but, with them. <laughs> but that's how I ended up picking up the imaginary word. I mean, it's a great lyric. The, the song itself is a really fantastic, well-written song. Yeah. But actually what defined that song better than lyrics or any, anything else was actually the guitar solo. Mm -hmm. It does have about like four parts and it does have a uh, melodic uh, double tunes. Double, it's a double guitar, guitar solo. But then toward the back end of it, the two guitars will be kind of a talking to each other. It's a communication between the two guitars. So I was fascinated when I was young listening to it. And then I wanted to, uh, well, maybe wanted to mimic that type of feeling. And I, put myself into the position of the guitar player and thought, what would that be on the stage? Kind of a playing your own instrument, not necessarily uh, to the audience or for the audience, but just for yourself. Mm -hmm. I, so that, that kind of uh, motivated me to pick up uh, the instrument guitar. And so obviously I started playing acoustic guitar and um, probably... Uh, at the uh, high school level, basically migrated into more uh, uh, overdrive and distorted sound tone quality and uh, more toward a little bit deeper rock and then heavy metal side. Yeah. So did you cover Hotel California often? 
Many, many times. <laughs> I mean, ironically, uh, re- relatively when I was younger, I mean, nowadays, probably not much. T- totally different genre. More sure. so as I age, it's very interesting because I, I see, I, don't quote me on that, but then it's just how I observe. Just pick up one greatest guitar players on earth, Eric Clapton. Yes. Yazbers started with a uh, purely rock-driven, but then these days he's all about blues, and mm-hmm. it's more maturity in terms of his tones and yeah. simplicity. So I'm not trying to <laughs> mimic myself or compare even myself toward that uh, guitar hero, Eric Clapton, but then I feel more comfortable going with these days uh, blues uh, yeah. and all kinds of those, a little bit of a uh, slower genre. Yeah. Do you pick it up pretty quick, David? Are you a quick learner with it? Does it you know, take you much to hear something and be able to kind of repeat it? Uh, I'm very slow on almost everything. So, yeah, I, I, it takes time for me to uh, memorize and all that thing. But then still, uh, I have a, a little bit of long uh, experience level. So I feel very comfortable whenever I step onto the fingerboard of any kind of a guitar. So uh, probably in terms of, let's say, the modern, really complicated, jazzy, or uh, like some different genre of tunes uh, with a bunch of technicalities, it may take a couple of months or maybe years for me to master it and then just play it, memorize, solo it. But then the beauty of the blues music is that uh, it does. You can compose a music with three chords, three chord progressions, but then everything is uh, improvising. Depending upon what you feel, depending upon what kind of a booze that you're enjoying right now, <laughs> and I, I don't know whether you're familiar with the different tones, like Fender Stratocaster tone mm-hmm. versus Deep Gibson Les Paul's uh, kind of a tone, depending upon what type of a uh, you know story that you are going to playing. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know whether I will say that, be able to say that I will uh, be learning quick, but then uh, I, still I uh, grab my guitar probably if I can find out some time, at least about an hour every day. That's nice. awesome. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's the way to stay proficient is to regularly have that, t- you know, piece of practice. But if you just want to move your microphone a little bit to the left, because I find you're, you're kind of leaning oh, towards it. So, no um, and then also... So you mentioned Eric Clapton and um, the Eagles, yep. both of which are coming to Minneapolis. Both are probably on their last tour, right? Correct. Ever. Eric Have Clapton was actually uh, playing on September 14th. I oh, did he already come through? Yeah, he already okay. came through. And unfortunately, I couldn't make it. Oh, but dang. a couple of people from Mankato were even thinking about going up. Yeah. Actually, Max was thinking about going there. Max to Mars? Yes. Yeah. But then I don't know whether he was able to make it. Did he mention if he went or not? I don't remember him mentioning it. I don't remember him mentioning it either, but we were talking about so so much other, uh, so many other things (laughs) that I'm not sure if it came up. So going back to the story component of it. So that's what I can define myself through my earlier, uh, you know, know, immediately after puberty uh, stage. And then uh, when I was... uh, in college uh, in South Korea, I went to a college in South Korea. Um, uh, the uh, political environment at that time in South Korea was rather rocky. And so <clears throat> I ended up spending more time 
not much so in the uh, academic or uh, professional side of it, but then uh, with the help of the music component of it and um, a number of uh, you know, philosophical driven motivations, uh, reading books and uh, discussing a lot of ideological components with friends. And so I ended up spending most of the time. But ironically, coming out of the college year, I became uh, an investment banker. Uh, coincidentally, the investment bank at the time in South Korea uh, was almost the only investment bank which was providing uh, pretty uh, significant financing to what you see today is a lot of South Korean big conglomerates, including Samsung, LG, Hyundai, and Kia, were all of my clients at the time. Um, but then fast forward uh, very quick, uh, what happened was that late 1990s, there was a pretty big uh, web and stream of a financial crisis that was driven by or initiated by some sort of a, uh, what at the time all the financial uh, or banking industry members would have uh, known to be uh, caused by some, some type of a uh, foreign exchange FX uh, dealings, or if I can go deeper dive, yeah. manipulations. Mm-hmm. Um, so that hit a pretty uh, you know, rocky wave uh, in a couple of more of a not so much developed countries in uh, Asian part. Uh, but then it inevitably impacted uh, countries like Korea and Japan, um, obviously China. Was this Chinese currency manipulation, or was it was it Korean, or what? Who? No, it was it was more so of a every single local currency versus U.S. dollar foreign exchange rate. Okay, gotcha. Um, not necessarily manipulation. It was pretty much legit, possibly, but then uh, with the aim of uh, you know, buying low, selling high, and then in between, if you have a sizable capital power, you can actually uh, come in with a big, massive uh, purchase and then lead the whole market to go up and then just, like, dump it and then come out, and then suddenly the market will go through panic and then that will crash. And then that power at the time moved on from one currency to another currency, one country to another country, and then probably went through quite a bit um, and ended up being in Korea as well. So I, I w- my bank was doing a lot of uh, underwriting uh, for Korean dem- domestic uh, conglomerates. Uh, the, uh, so simply to put, lending money, mm-hmm. but then our uh, funding source was rather unique because we are investment bank, we had our uh, subsidiary uh, broker dealer who will just underwrite, say, 100 million overnight. Then our funding source was not like deposits from any customers. It was more so we will uh, underwrite, and similar to security agent, securitize, and our uh, broker dealer will go out and then actually sell those securities, kind of a funding. So... We were doing that kind of merchant banking type of a transactions. And our uh, currency, uh, so to speak, when we borrow, 
those and underwrite some of those or a pretty good chunk of that was denominated under US dollar. Whereas our loans were made to our customers were all Korean one denominated. So there was a uh, inherent risk of always the FX side of the yeah. risk when the rate goes from, let's say, one day 801 was $1 and then it started going up 5%. 8%, 10% a day. Yeah. <laughs> and suddenly our balance sheet can go totally up and yeah. upside down. Yep. And that's exactly what happened uh, 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 through the end of 1990. So actually my bank disappeared, ended up being merged with a one of the biggest uh, retail bank. Um, so that's when I decided to look into something else. And I uh, happened to be inside of more of the uh, foreign currency related um, dealings. And uh, so I had some connection through the New York branch office and Hong Kong. And then I started looking into what else and uh, typically maybe go to MBA school or like uh, maybe look for some other banking jobs was obviously one option. And Happened to be my wife was inside of a, a Samsung insurance branch division. So she was in the finance di uh, division as well. So I thought that let's do something that is fun, more fun. <laughs> Why did insurance yeah. wasn't fun enough? <laughs> <laughs> so, well, ironically, I ended up actually uh, choosing to go to law school. And <laughs> somehow uh, it was, I, if I remember correctly, when I decided, made the decision to go to law school, it was late December or early January. It was really cold. And um, totally coincidentally, my wife's brother, so uh, my brother-in-law, had a wedding in Milwaukee. Hmm. So I flew from Seoul to Milwaukee, and my daughter was uh, three years old. Oh, I'm sorry, two years old at the time. Um, well, I... I discussed about possibility of going some sort of a law school with my brother-in-law over a couple of nice beers from Wisconsin, <laughs> obviously. And we ended up making a visit to Wisconsin Madison Law School in the middle of a uh, probably winter storm. So I felt it's just too cold for my daughter. So <laughs> Madison is not my place. What else? And then, so long story short, um, I was looking for some, okay, uh, when is the uh, law school admission deadlines? And there were only a few left. So one of that was actually Iowa Law School in Iowa City. So that's how I ended up applying for Iowa Law School. Slightly warmer. Barely. Uh, <laughs> really very doubtful, I'd yeah. say. A little bit more south, just slightly. Yeah. Just like, wasn't a winter storm is really their benefit. Yeah. So uh, ended up successfully going to Iowa Law School because of that interesting segue. Uh, my That's wife be was a big change though. I mean Yes. On a flight, visit Milwaukee, all of a sudden, okay, now we're we're coming to America. Well, guess what? I've totally fell in love with Iowa cornfield. Ah. It was meditating. I didn't really? know if you were joking at first. <laughs> I am not joking. Okay. Wow. I, oh, cool. I still love cornfield. And actually, so I grew up in 12 million population South Korea, Seoul. Ah, well, yeah. That, that so, helps. from the perspective of it, I've never seen something like that. So, 
fast forward, um, probably about roughly 10 years ago, uh, one of my clients ended up developing some land in Belize, the country Belize. So I uh, made some visits and trips with my client to Belize about three, four times so far. But that's uh, probably the beginning of his uh, quote-unquote exploration or development. And I almost felt, so what I saw in Belize at the time was undeveloped jungles. Uh, it's a wood, wooded area. The concept would be uh, chainsaw and cultivate the whole wooded area and turn that to a cornfield. So um, the, the similarity between wooded area versus Iowa cornfield sounds, there's no uh, link or anything. But then... I've, what, that's what I felt when I first saw Iowa, uh, you know, cornfield in Iowa when I started uh, the law schooling. Uh, as compared to when I went down and first saw that jungle, I was, in my imaginary work, I was <laughs> thinking that jungle at some point of time can turn to a cornfield like Iowa. <laughs> and actually, that is what is happening right now. Yeah. In Belize. In Belize, in yes. The, okay. Correct. So um, that's how I ended up being in Iowa. And then uh, for a nanosecond, I ended up thinking about uh, maybe that was probably not the trajectory that I was shooting for. But accidentally, I ended up uh, being in Chicago, uh, too big law firm uh, from my today's point of view or my character point of view. I can only withstand only so much or maybe people surrounding me can withstand me only so much <laughs> part. So uh, long story short, I tried that route, but probably didn't pan out really well. And then I was really looking at, okay, where is my heart? What does my heart telling me to look at? And, you know, so to speak, um, where's my long term? Which one do I really feel comfortable? at the end of the day, in terms of not just making money or vocation or anything, what do I really, really want to do? Who do I want to be? So that actually, I had that moment and somehow the word or in my, at the time, I'm still, I believe that, the stars were pointing me toward North Minnesota, somewhere nearby, New Ulm, Mankato. And so I ended up being in New Ulm, uh, being hired at Gisler's and Hunter Law Firm. So I started there 2003 August. And that was after law school in Iowa. Correct. Correct? Yes. <clears throat> what song, as you're driving through the Iowa cornfields, did you think about since you're a rock guy? Was there a certain artist or a certain song that came to mind as you're driving through thinking, wow, this is just kind of relaxing coming from a very, very densely populated place like Sure. So Korea. It, it was Korea. never a, well, I, I don't know whether uh, Aaron, any song actually came to my mind at the time, but then if I actually uh, come up with something, probably uh, it would be uh, not a bluesy or not a slow going song. I can say that that might have been some kind of a, a dream theater. I don't know whether you no, Dream Theater is one of the most, um, I would say, admired uh, modern uh, 
heavy metal band out of New Jersey, <laughs> New York area. Uh, John Petrucci is the great guitar player there. Uh, one of their songs uh, is called Breaking All Odds. And it's a great song. And probably that might be the song that I would be you know, playing in my head while going through probably uh, on Highway uh, 14 from Mankato to New Ulm. At the time, just a, a two-lane, simple drive. Uh, and then looking at left side cornfield <laughs> and the right side soybean <laughs> planted <laughs> and then uh, breaking all odds. Yeah. Listening to heavy metal. <laughs> probably. <laughs> I love it. So law, so law school, though, let's go back to that for a moment. When you decided to take that pivot from you know investment banking or the financial industry, if you will, to law, um, what and maybe you answer that, but what was kind of, I mean, that's, that's a pretty big shift for somebody to just say, eh, I think I'm going to go to law school. Was there something within the financial industry that you cut your teeth with that you decided, you know, I kind of like dipping my toes in that direction. There's maybe somebody that was a little bit skilled in law that you met or somebody in your family back home. I mean, where did that come from? That, lo- that love for wanting to learn that and go forward with it. Actually, nothing. I would say I was sitting down probably a glass of, uh, I don't know what exactly, maybe scotch, most likely. (laughs) And then after uh, gone, so I went through some uh, internal turmoils at the bank. uh, And it was heartbreaking because I was in a very, very good spot from my career past point of view. And seeing that uh, really rocking and rolling uh, bank disappearing out of just one simple uh, event was really heartbreaking. So a couple of long nights with cocktails and such, and also not really having a lot of other uh, people to consult with because it's just such a unique situation. It was. And it, it was not just my bank at the time. There were a number of other organizations in those Asian countries, especially in South Korea, uh, that went through, had to go through that uh, difficult times. So a lot of layoffs and such. Um, so probably I was thinking, uh, you know, if you have to make a calculated decision as to the, that next move, I mean, you can choose to become a chiropractor or, um, I mean, I can go to, almost vet school or, uh, well, I can become a nurse or I can become a car washer owner or whatever, right? A lot of options. But then um, without having any particular reason, some idea popped in my mind. And literally I'm saying that literally that's exactly what happened. Why why don't I just go to law school? Um, And I think... There was no logic behind it. But then, Aaron, one thing that I can say is that I'm probably one of the luckiest guy in a sense that I really love what I'm doing right now, and I think I am really good at what I'm doing. And it's pretty hard to see that combo. Mm-hmm. So I ended up becoming a, a really lucky guy out of no rationale, no reasoning, <laughs> no <laughs> it must effort. Have, it must have been a gut thing, right? You must have been self-aware enough to know, hey, my skill sets, my analytical mind that I was applying in banking would 
apply well in law, even if you didn't well, you know, didn't really sit and think about it. That had to have been a little bit of the instinct, I would imagine. Uh, thank you so much. <laughs> I'm going to give know. you that credit. <laughs> I'm going to give you that credit whether or not it was or not. But yeah. You're I, so generous. Well, I'm, I'm curious when it comes to the investment banking side, if... Yeah. You know, the, the culture in investment banking in Korea was the same as maybe modern day investment banking in the United States. Uh, I don't know how much you know. I'm, I'm assuming you do. But I mean, crazy work hours. Uh, the idea that you're there, you know, seven, six, seven in the morning until nine, ten o'clock at night, mm-hmm. like really grueling work environment. Was that the same thing in your time period in Korea or was it was it different? I think so. Uh, so. The reason why I can probably safely say that is because happened to be my daughter is in investment banking in New York right now. So she, so earlier comment, she was two when I visited Madison Law School. So she ended up going to New Ulm uh, public school system when we moved to Mankato in 2011. By the way, we ended up doing some church hopping at the time because uh, we were attending a uh, Methodist church in New Orleans, and then uh, me and one of uh, other my friends, family, really loved that pastor, and that he had to go some other church, and we ended up kind of looking for a church. So we started looking at church, and so uh, that was the the only reason why we ended up moving to Mankato at that time. Um, turned out to be my uh, wi- uh, my wife was pretty much neutral to that move, but then uh, my daughter really enjoyed uh, being in Mankato side of the public school system. So she ended up going to NYU and majored in finance. And so uh, after that, she, uh, well, uh, from her second uh, uh, summer intern job, uh, she started working at Barclays, New York. And so after that, she uh, probably did some okay job, and uh, she's now third-year associate uh, at Barclays Investment Banking. So um, I get to see through my daughter what inv- modern-day New York investment bankers' uh, daily life, what time they start, what type of projects they work on, what kind of a, uh, crafts that they have to deal with their clients or bosses, or how do they miserably handle their matters with their own attorneys <laughs> out in New York, how long hours they work yeah. and such. Um, I see a lot of similarities and resemblances uh, yep. even after decades passing by. So um, long hours, obviously. Yeah. No weekends, no yep. Saturdays and no Sundays, um, and sometimes working until 1, 2 p.m. Uh, well, I'm sorry, 1, 2 a.m. in the morning. Yeah. And then uh, whenever there's a project. So one day I was in New York with my daughter at her apartment. It was Sunday, 11 uh, p.m. Uh, her boss kind of texts her. And then she opens up laptop and then tells me that, Dad, I got to go. Where are you going? <laughs> well, I got to deliver this. What are you delivering? Well, <laughs> it was not a uh, physical printout or anything. It was more, well, I have to print out a PowerPoint from our office and then deliver that to my so-and-so boss's house because he has to uh, bring it with him tomorrow to uh, <laughs> South Carolina or North Carolina for yeah. a client meeting. So yep. s- very, very similar 
patterns of you know still interesting yeah you know, somewhat of sweatshop yeah. you will yeah no it's it's really grueling from what i understand i've both yeah. seen shows there's a number of tv shows that kind of document it but then i've had friends that have worked in that industry and we've tried to arrange and plan trips where i come out to seattle to visit <laughs> you know that friend and then all of a sudden the day before he goes no i just know that this is you're not going to see me at all you'll have a wonderful trip here and you'll see a lot of the city Correct. but you're not going to see me and it's like okay well yeah that's how it goes well, sounds like a pretty boring topic. Let's move on to something else better. <laughs> so anyway, so I, that's kind of my uh, little bit of a short version of my journey story backward looking. What was it like growing up in, in Seoul with 12 million people in comparison to... Oh, know, everything is competition, as you can imagine. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, probably um, I was going to say congestion, but then before then, air quality was really bad at the time backward today it's probably one of the cleanest but then certainly that's the you know how you know modern day society industrialization will put you through the pathways but so um to some degree i i can say a lot of dirty environment uh back then now it's a totally different word um competition so as an example i don't know what the so when uh, you were in high school here, your class size was how much probably? Well, I went to a private school, so it was 50. Oh. Pretty <laughs> small. Minus 275. Wow. Okay. So uh, my uh, middle school, one class was about 10,000. Ooh. <laughs> 10,000. One, yes. So, uh, I mean, that was a little bit of exaggeration, but then, so let's say... Uh, Inside of my physical class, uh, we had about 71 to 75 students in one small teeny room. See, teeny small, uh, you know, desk and then really small chair. Um, so really packed setting. And then also, um, you know, academically, uh, if you want to be a little bit pronounced, then that competition was really, really huge. You have to really work hard to go through all of that, uh, you know, because, I mean, there are so many, you know, smart kids, dull kids, but then because of the number, because it's a number game. Right. That's yeah. what I was going to ask you is how do you break through when you have that many? You said, obviously, work hard, but that, that's that's crazy. It is not only just crazy, Aaron, but it's depressing sometimes because... I mean, if you think about the perspective of, let's say they fit a, if there's 100 students in one classroom versus, let's say, uh, uh, or in one class and versus, let's say, there are 5,000. Um, one out of 5,000, to become one out of 5,000, the degree of inhumane amount of work that you have to go through is totally crazy. But think from different perspective. What about the other guys? I mean, so the, the, I would say, collateral damage of being, say, normal, I'd say, or being not super heroically, academically advanced, puts you into somewhat of a more um, unnecessarily more, so to speak, dehumiliating segment of the society group. So the outcome is that yeah, there could be some 
good winners, but then a lot of losers. As compared to, I would say, more advanced society, uh, not just academically, but uh, or not just a capitalistic manner, but then more maturity in terms of social uh, value propositions, cultures. Then we so, would have more balanced. Uh, there's no not much. I mean, because there's no obviously. I mean, even if you fail on your uh, you know chemistry class, that does not define you. But in some of those uh, earlier uh, developing country setting, uh, your academic success can lead to your lifetime success or the opposite. Uh, if you're not that much successful in terms of your academic performance, that probably most likely lead you to a forever continuing discomfort or, uh, so to speak, unsuccessful life in terms that will lead to your career and then the life itself. Let's talk about your parents for a second. Were they successful people in their own right within the sole large community that it was? Did they push you guys? How many siblings did you have? I have, have one sister. One sister? still lives in South Korea. Okay. Um, my... Speaking of my parents, I would say uh, pretty middle class uh, in terms of their expectation, um, in, in terms of their economic well-being, also their education, both college graduates, uh, a little bit at the time, I would say, uh, uh, unusual. Uh, my mother was an English teacher throughout uh, her entire career. Uh, Career, so she went to a college major English literature. My dad was a business major, and so uh, my dad uh, went through a number of different private businesses as an owner. Uh, my mom used to do a lot of uh, private touring, and then uh, was a uh, uh, high school and middle school English teacher uh, most of her career time. So I grew up in a very, I would say, moderate or literally middle point from all perspective, that kind of a setting. So, uh, well, the good news to me was that when I decided to pick up a guitar and spend my parents' money toward that, uh, I got some support because they appreciated, understand, understood uh, what those kind of you know hobbies or other extra academic stuff kind of can be meaningful instead of focusing on studying or advancing your own career paths. So that's what my question was to ask that it was how much they pushed into that because it's, it's such a competition with that many students. And like you said, there's a divide there. So mm -hmm. I didn't know if they were super, um, you know, if it was stress super at home, like you, you do good or that's, that's it for the rest of your life, you know? Um, but it sounds like they were also, uh, academically smart and pushed to become something for themselves as well. And also, pushed you guys to to express yourselves in the arts or uh, and whatnot as well. So that's a good thing. I, I believe that both of my parents had a pretty significant desire to see um, their um, kids' academical and other success. But uh, I don't remember receiving any, so to speak, uh, expressed push from any of those, 
more so uh, like subtle questions. How did you do on that exam? Or well, once in a while I remember hearing some of those, but then frankly, it was me. I I was a very driven and motivated on more so what I am interested in part. So I wasn't really keen to developing my uh, ed- uh, so academic careers. I did actually pretty good overall, but then, uh, as I said earlier, that was not my interest. That was not my really focus. I was deeply inside of music, and frankly, probably uh, uh, you might have, Aaron, read through something in between the lines. Maybe I had it in my back of my mind. I couldn't uh, go that pathway because of my parents' unspoken expectation, but I really wanted to become a rock star. <laughs> I, you that still was can. my passion. David, you still can. Oh, thank you it's so much. It's never too and late. It's so, never too late. Oh, I totally understand that. And then my wife is the one who knows that part really well. And someday my husband is going to be on the tour, and then I have to actually push some chairs. <laughs> So, well, I, I was going <laughs> to, I mean, this is a, I'll save this question for the final five. So I'm not going to ask what I was just going to ask, but I had a question on my list about growing up in South, South Korea, as far as, um, maybe I'm wrong on this, but is it, is it required by the country that you give time as a male into uh, military service? Yes. Is that accurate? Two years or something along those lines? So can you speak when to I that? was, uh, in that age group, it was uh, 24 months. Okay. And it is not just a law, it is a constitutional duty. So you don't mess around with that duty. Um, it is driven by the fact that it is a divided country, as you know, North and South Korea um, since 1950. Um, and because still under the law in South Korea, they are in war right now. Uh, so uh, every male uh, has a constitutional duty to serve in the military. And there are all sorts of different types of military, as you can imagine. Um, you can go to, uh, but it's not necessarily your choice. Uh, it's a, these days, I think there could be somewhat of more flexibility. You can elect to go toward that uh, Air Force side versus Navy side, but then... Um, uh, long times ago when I was there, uh, it was more so of a choice by the government. So I, I was in the, just the army. What did you, uh, any special stories that stand out to you? Any memories that were like, wow, this was a crazy event that happened? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, just share some, share some war stories. I mean, you weren't actually in war, but, right? Um, it's, it cannot be spoken. It is a top secret. Ah. <laughs> well, not, I would not say top secret. It's a, con- a South Korean constitutional secret. By the way, I, I'm no longer uh, bound by it because I'm a U.S. citizen. But uh, to give them some honor, um, there are a lot of uh, military-driven fun stories. But um, I, I guess, I mean, one of the uh, interesting thing was that two... So, you start with a boot camp, and the boot camp was rather short. In, in my case, it was only a month. 
So it was not like six months boot camp or something. It was only one month. But then you you have to go through a really intense training. Uh, uh, like the shooting would be the the main focus. Um, but then you go through all the physical challenges just to be able to survive all bunch of uh, military zone kind of a setting. So um, unfortunately, I lost two. Uh, you know, pals during that one month period, two people died. Wow. In yeah. training? In training. Oof. And so it was, it was not easy to digest and grasp it. Also, what, one thing that was uh, very, uh, you know, I mean, we, we were not born to absorb all of that stress levels, but then I still remember the first day of the boot camp. So I don't know whether this might be a little bit too much, but then, I think that the, uh, when you are forced, to, when your body is forced to do something that you are not used to, the body reacts in a very, very unexpected way. So a lot of fluids comes out of all holes from <laughs> your body. <laughs> so let me yeah. stop right there. <laughs> so it was a very unique experience that I actually had probably the first five hours of day one. Yeah. But then after you go through that, then probably that gives you a lot of perspective. Mm-hmm. And if I it was interested, to, to say the least, it was interesting, but it was really, really painful. Then, I mean, so probably let's say that about uh, one week time period, you will go through extreme, extreme mental stress. Uh, and that it has to do with... Uh, we, as a human being, never expose our body to constant dangers. But then through the boot camp, you're trained. And it's purposefully done. So the trainers will come at you at any given time. Uh, physical force. And uh, basically, you have to go through a lot of um, harsh, uh, you know, you can gently say training, but then it is actually way more than just uh, going through the training programs. So uh, under that amount of a physical force and pressure comes with the mental anxiety, which is way more impactful mm-hmm. than your body physical kind of a uh, yeah. you know, stress. So also what was interesting from my perspective was that after probably the first week, the speed of human body and mental capacity being able to adapt to the new environment. So I got, the, the first guy died week number one, and I think the second guy died probably at the end of week number three. How did they die? Um, I do know one guy who died out of lack of, uh, so he was died out of dehydration at the end of the day. So it was uh, probably week three. We had to wear uh, 40 pounds. And then we were walking and running uh, four day long. So covering a lot of miles. Yeah. Uh, bare minimum meal and uh, water supplied. Mm. And so anything can anything happen under that type of setting. It was actually in September, so it was not really hot, scorching summer either. Yeah. Yeah. What's the topography of 
of the area where you were doing those hiking. So it was a mountain area. Mountain areas yep, too. Mountain area. Okay, so goes, challenging, challenging. Yes, yes, yes. So ironically, so we used a lot of different weaponries uh, and M60, which is a rocket launcher, typically targeting uh, you know helicopters, choppers. Um, but then your uh, personal weapon is going to be something similar to uh, uh, M16. Korean version of M16 at the time, um, a few grenades and uh, you know military knife and such, but then that is uh, before you counting. So on top of that, you wear about forty pound uh, your own personal uh, bag. So total uh, weight uh, of the whole thing that is sticking to your body can be about sixty pounds. So it's a lot of weight if you have to, you know, bring 60 pounds for a couple of days. That can be pretty. Yeah. Yeah. How many beers did David Kim have in his bag? There we go. (laughs) (laughs) We're still going on that path. I just thought I'd lighten it up for a moment. But (laughs) yours yours was 60 or 70 because you brought more beers with than the other guys. You're such a badass. There we go. So was there also instances of jumping out of planes, helicopters? Was there any of that yes. uh, with so, the training and, yes. and water as well, obviously? Yeah, not much so water, probably uh, jumping. Okay. So, uh, so we had to go through all of that. Uh, so parachuting part and then uh, to be prepared constantly uh, doing those type of a training works. Yeah. What age were you when you were going through this 24 months of service to your country? So that I went through that uh, process when I was 20, 21, I believe. Yep. Now, obviously, the country wants to be as well prepared for any kind of military attack or defense or however it works. I, I can imagine that is the idea that individuals that have gone through that um, if it all of a sudden became active wartime and there was there was quite a lot of activity, that you could then re-enlist individuals that had already gone through that program and they were ready to go? Was that kind of the idea of the time? Yeah. So uh, it is not just your, uh, that 24 months, the main military duty period. So after that, you have to be uh, inside of this, so to speak, reserve system for... About 15 years. So That's a long time. If there is a war, then it's another duty, and there's a uh, another set of body of law that requires you to be back. Hmm. And then so um, after you come out of the military service, uh, about it, it, it depends upon, so let's say that first five years, you have to probably go through, say, 20 days every uh, year, uh, you have to go back and then retrain yourself. Hmm. You have to work on your weaponry. You have to, I mean, but mostly I would say not so much effective training program, but then the concept is that uh, everybody should be alerted to be uh, always you are under the hook. Yeah. And anytime there is a calling, this is a place where you have to come back and then this is the job that you're going to be performing. So that in case of any war, then there will be a not just a regular military size, but 
there will be a huge pool of available resources. Yeah. Did you have a specialty while you were in? Did they, is it kind of everybody learns everything or was it people still had specialties within, within the army and the military? Aaron, do I look like a Rambo or somebody who can have any specialty? Yes. <laughs> Absolutely you not. Do. I mean, I'm curious no. what that, je- without the shirt and sweet sport coat from my store, I'm just curious what that body looks like. Probably oh ripped, God. shredded. I'm a little bit afraid now. <laughs> no, I, I was a pencil pusher. <laughs> Were you? Is that what you did? They had you behind the scenes? Uh, actually, so the division that I was in was, uh, ironically, um, so long times ago, there was a uh, uh, guerrilla invasion from north down to south to kill South Korean president. And South Korean president's uh, office is called the Blue House, like similar to our White House. Um, so that was not long times ago. But since then, uh, there was a specialized military uh, group or division that was designed to protect that back end of the blue house part. So I was part of that division. Hmm. So we, I ended up going through quite a bit of training in terms of some, some extreme uh, cases or some extreme possibilities and such. Uh, and a couple of times ran into actual extreme situations, which probably might be a little bit inappropriate to talk about in this podcast. I do not want to so what you're saying shut is down this podcast. You cannot say it, but you basically saved the president's life. That's what you're saying. Totally not. Right. <laughs> <laughs> totally That's not what right. I got from it. I was pushing pencil. I was pushing pencil. <laughs> well, here's a question for you. Did you ever have a, this is way off the cuff. Did you ever have a membership to Fitness for 10? Oh, probably I should say uh, yes and no, okay. but then I'm the attorney for <laughs> Fitness for 10. <laughs> okay. Well, the reason why I bring it up is because I was pretty confident that before I ever actually met you, back when I used to work out at Fitness for 10, I saw you, and this is the exact description that I give, I would give anyone, attacking the machines. You were just going crazy <laughs> on, on some pulleys and, and just absolutely murdering the machines. No, you're... <laughs> That was not me. That you were imagining you. somebody else. That His was doppelganger. You. Yeah. Maybe that was Charlie Whitaker. <laughs> there you go. I think that was my first introduction to you without even knowing you. Oh, that's funny. But actually, uh, I, I think that I'm still uh, I'm still the attorney for Fitness for Tim slash Tom Schumann. Um, uh, awesome story to begin that how we ended up uh, starting that uh you know, fitness for 10 in town, uh, maybe you should invite Tom sometime and then uh, yeah, Tom would be great. ask him to share that uh, with, uh, with, the, you know, with you guys and then everybody else. But then, yeah, so, yeah, I, I still go to fitness for 10. Yeah. Uh, try to go there as much as I can, probably at least two to three times a week. So we can get the security footage from Fitness for 10. Post that on our social media pages and people can see you just... <laughs> that would be copyrighted. Going to town. <laughs> yeah, don't, with, don't mess with yeah, this guy. I can't mess law. with the attorney. There you go. Oh, it's funny. Oh, well, yeah. let's, let's get some of those stories uh, when, we, when we get back on the podcast here. But before we do, let's do a well-deserved shout-out to our fantastic drink sponsor, 
our really good friends at Chankaska Creek Ranch Winery and Distillery. Such a great partner in this podcast. I tell you what, Wes, what are you sipping on tonight there, buddy? The Cabernet. And you, you started early tonight before I David did. and I. Yeah, I had a meeting before this that was a happy hour meeting, and so I just cracked a bottle, and we've kept rolling. We're on bottle number two. I think we'll be on three by the end of this. When I came into the studio tonight, uh, just a few minutes before David did, I saw Wes had one of those helmets on with a straw from the helmet and the bottle of wine hooked up, and he was just sipping out of the bottle. It's just so, more efficient, Aaron. I don't know why you have to judge me for uh, it. No judgments. I was actually impressed. Thank it's you. It's great. Man. What about you, David? What are you sipping on tonight with us? Uh, Chan Casca Winery's sponsored Cabernet. Yeah. yeah, Lovely. It's delicious. And I'm also doing the same. You know, it's also a really, really good time of the year, you guys, to hit up the grounds because the leaves are starting to turn. It's just a beautiful spot in southern Minnesota That's right. uh, to check out. And whether you're just going out there for a date night or you're thinking about planning that corporate event for your group where you work or uh, maybe just crashing a wedding in the event center. It's a great place to go check out. So ChancascaWines.com, you can check out what they have uh, out there for product, or you can stop by pretty much every liquor store or sporting event because they also have pretty much everything represented. Well, we have actually talked about doing a, a podcast-related event. We've thought about doing something out at Chancasca where we maybe get all of the past guests together <laughs> okay. because it's, it's you know it's a fun guest list yeah. and a lot of them know each other, and so sure. why not uh, why yeah. not get together in a room and throw a little party? Yeah, sounds great. I will bring my gear and then ready to go. Do you uh, do you do much in the way of of playing publicly, or is it so, just completely private passion at this point? Uh, I did a lot of gigs through college. Yeah. Uh, but then I stopped. Uh, the only gig that I am actively working on I, I, that even I'm not doing as. Uh, as of today, so I turned Hillside Church worship team to a semi-heavy metal band. <laughs> Back to the heavy yeah. metal. It's my, my kind of church right there. Right, so really, really pumped up and super, so I spent my own money to buy a super woofer, so woofer, <laughs> up in the attic so that we can be just like vibrating the whole building. <laughs> Because I have to feel the Lord. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can feel the Lord. <laughs> I love that. And I so I bring that yeah, step that ten higher in terms of pitch, in terms of the loudness, and then when people so, just start to fall asleep, you just rip a chord. Yeah. And wake everyone up so audience. I introduced uh, high speed a fingering to the uh, uh, church congregation. To the uh, age group of 60s and 70s. Sure. So those gentlemen really appreciate like those. Yes, yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, you get you um, get so many different, you know, congregations and, right. and churches that do it differently. Some just Correct. want to keep it completely old school and conservative with the, the organ and the piano. And then I myself, I do appreciate when, when there's a band. I think it just helps, I don't know, keep you entertained and a little bit more drawn in. So that's really cool. Yeah, so we actually had a really good, uh, you know, musically talented people at Hillside Church Band. Uh, unfortunately, when COVID hit, so I ended up not going uh, every day to the church and then became a little bit lazy and lazy uh, between myself and my wife. So, well, that was a perfect time for me to ask my son to step up and then play. So... I ended up teaching my son since he was little because I didn't want to just, you know, 
not have him experience his wonderful feelings of playing guitar. So I taught him, and then he picked it up. And so he's going through exactly the same pass. He went through high metal. Now he's playing mostly jazz. Sure. So he, when he was in high school, Mankato West High School, he won the competition the whole Minnesota state. Jazz. Wow. wow. So, um, so during the COVID time period, my son... Uh, replaced my position at the church band and everybody loved him you're a much better guitar player (laughs) much much a team player than your dad who can be all over the place from there and there so our church band leader really hated me because (laughs) i am not i'm not controllable and it was probably the cutoffs that you wore to to church right it was the cutoffs (laughs) that you wore as you were jamming right probably Oh, yeah, funny. Well, so let's uh, let's maybe jump back to the professional front. Um, <laughs> how did so you you find yourself in New Ulm, and you're you're practicing now with Gisselson and Hunter there. What was the first year, two years like? Move, you know, making that kind of a big move. How did that go? What was that like for you? Yeah, so uh, Gisselson Hunter is uh, near hundred year old, old law firm. Um, founded in New Orleans, Sid Gisler, Sidney Gisselson was the founder of the firm. Um, the what is very unique and interesting about my firm is that we're kind of a you know bunch of core loyalists who love being very passionate, being in Southern Minnesota local, supporting business communities agricultural communities and everybody in this area. Um, frankly, um, we actually recruit quite a bit of high-profile talents, um, especially from Minnesota and Iowa, even Iowa, uh, South Dakota area as well. And um, the only sad component of it is that I cannot say proudly that we have a, a huge retention rate, just like any other businesses in uh, local rural areas. We are, in that regard, still suffering a little bit. But then still, uh, I would say we don't care much about that. We still uh, try to focus on the characters. Uh, when we try to recruit our summer interns or uh, first-year associates or lateral moves, we look at... Uh, from the perspective of who, what is your story? Uh, why did you become an attorney? Just like what you asked me earlier. And um, not necessarily how, how do you envision making money or not even servicing your client. Uh, we try to define who you are first because kind of as much as, as I am an asshole, I want to live with similarly uh, positioned asshole, rocking and rolling, really <laughs> a big, huge drive. But that, uh, that was a joke. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody who, who's hurt is more so tuned toward human beings. Somebody who can uh, resonate on uh, working in harmony with your subordinates, your, um, you know, LAAs, even your, somebody who actually 
helps us to actually open up the door, close down the door, people. So we tried to uh, look at the human being at their heart and their two eyes level first. If that passes, then we look at how did you score at your law school uh, GPA and such. Um, we're blessed in the sense that Minnesota, Southern Minnesota is very, very rich, culturally rich, and also, I would say, uh, rich, rich, capitalistically rich, because we are sitting on probably the one of the most powerfully God-blessed fertile soil reserve in the whole universe. I'm sorry, maybe in the whole world. I have not been to the Mars, so I cannot <laughs> say that yet. But certainly from the global macro perspective of the whole world, because of all of this glacier-driven uh, fertile uh, soil, black dirt, mineral rich, which can produce whole bunch of row crops and any and all types of vegetation that you can imagine except for the temperature component of it but then the soil quality wise from corn soybean uh some of those type of crop perspective uh there's no comparison so iowa minnesota uh what is called corn belt area will be so it comes with uh probably uh, as long as there is a human capital, I would say that this will be the place that will produce the food or feed to feed the entire world in this day and age of growing, um, you know, the huge amount of 8 billion population world explore, exploding with the population growth solely except westernized countries or some Asian countries, even including China, as we probably heard that China is not no longer producing anymore. South Korea is a while gone. Nobody is, I, I cannot say nobody, but then the birth rate is really concerningly dropping. But, uh, but still, I think that the, the, the human capital component here is also concerning, but then still the natural resources given to us is huge. So... Our firm, uh, Gisus Hunter Services, as you probably have heard, the core business of southern Minnesota and northern Iowa, which is the uh, production agriculture. So inside of that production agriculture uh, industry sector, probably we would be one of the uh, pronounced law firms in the entire country. So um, as an example, in that area, I do have uh, clients from... Ohio, Pennsylvania, um, not only surrounding states like South Dakota, North Dakota, Nebraska, uh, Iowa, Minnesota, but some uh, remote, some something that probably a lot of uh, Minnesota attorneys would have never thought about having a client from, uh, oddly. So also some other attorneys of our firm, totally different areas of specialties, uh, but the common character that we carry, we try to carry, is that somebody who loves being in southern Minnesota, somebody who can be my friend for a extended period of time. Instead of so, we we do not look at each other as a 
money making partnership partner, we look at each other. What kind of a bourbon do you like? Kind of a partner. <laughs> what kind of? It's a good question. Yeah. What yeah. kind of a? How do you cook your pork chop? We really get down to really serious discussions about those type of topics. Um, uh, so as a matter of corollary, um, what comes with that is that our clients look at us as not more so of a service provider. Yeah, we are service providers. Mm-hmm. That's uh, the bottom line. But they, a lot of our clients look at us as our like companionship. So this guy lives the same life that I'm living, um, kind of pretty important component of our life. So what comes with that is that I get to receive phone calls like in the morning, 2 a.m. or Sunday afternoon, uh, 5.30, which in modern U.S. point of view or standards would be somewhat rude, even inappropriate, but... Uh, fortunately or unfortunately, where I am at, I really feel happy for being part of those type of their family businesses or their integral uh, component, part of their, you know, life cycle. So uh, it's not just me and a, a number of my partners at my firm kind of, a, you know, lives the same way of life. So that's one thing that I can be very proud of my firm. How many partners are there at Gisselson and Hunter? Right now we have 14 partners. So 14 partners. How many staff total in the company? I cannot have the tally, but then including 14 partners and with the uh, brand new associates, I believe that we have 28 total lawyers. Okay. Um, we have five paralegals um, and we have uh, supporting staffs, LAAs, uh, and then uh, marketing directors and our COOs. So uh, I cannot speak to the exact number, sure, but then okay. uh, roughly speaking, I would say 45 to 50 total. That's I call as our family member. And offices in both Mankato and New Ulm still, right? Correct. Yes. So New Ulm office was our uh, founding father's location. So uh, and then so we service out of New Ulm location more toward the uh, northern counties of Minnesota. Uh, whereas uh, out of Mankato office, we tended to service out of the southern part of the counties, including some western part and eastern part of Minnesota. And I've had the pleasure of being to your offices uh, in the Ide Bailey Tower. Sure. And they're gorgeous. They're fantastic. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Do you have uh, a pretty even split of staff? Because I know New Ulm is uh, still a pretty big service area for you. So do you have you know, 50% of staff over there and 50% in Mankato? Or what's what's the divide look like? That is correct, Wes. You're very precise. About half and half. But then we do have our finance department located in our new home office right sure. now. So a little bit more on the back support staff side, heavier in the new home side than our Mankato side. Have you done any public events with the new office space? Because oh. it, it just seems like a great opportunity to get people in, from the community up in that, that I mean, the view Gorgeous. Correct. Furnishings, excellent. Yeah, I believe that we have had several occasions where, uh, so one example would be um, uh, through the COVID. Uh, so one industry sector that we very proudly service uh, big time is U.S. swine industry. So U.S. swine industry is 
from the macroeconomic point of view, I would not say that it is uh, explosively big, but it is revenue generation wise about trillion dollar industry. Um, our firm represents about twenty to thirty percent of that trillion dollars. Yeah, that's a ton. Um, it is a quite lot. a bit of a wealth. Um, out of that, Minnesota and Iowa are the epicenter of the hog production in the whole world. Uh, more so Iowa in terms of the total volume, but then in terms of the what I would call as a more important component of it, which is more of an engine side, breeding stock side of it, not the market hog side, is more Minnesota. So Minnesota pork uh, is an an association and they host used to host and still today they host what is called Minnesota pork Congress mm-hmm. and used to be uh, up in the uh, Twin Cities area until COVID hit so we skipped one year because of COVID but then Minnesota pork decided to bring that down to guess what Mankato so <laughs> our farm has been very influenced uh, pretty big uh, influence over that decision and so as soon as that move was made the first guy who moved to take advantage of that was me actually <laughs> so we did open up our space during the first Minnesota Port Congress in Mankato uh, and we hosted with another uh, swine industry player at our I Bailey Tower um, so this year was year two, and next year is going to be year three. Every year we're ha- adding uh, about 20% from the past year in terms of the growth of the attendee size. That's so great. I'm looking forward to having a little bit of a uh, more fun. So next year, 2024, January, Port Congress, uh, we ha- we're thinking about doing a little bit of interesting combo of a uh, specialty cooked bacon paired with specialty bourbon combo. Ooh, oh, delicious. So if you are interested in definitely you will get an invitation from me on that. <laughs> Count us in. I'm, I'm yeah. a big fan of specialty bacons. As we, long lo- as we, you are we love the bacon. We had the, meter- the meadery was on the podcast with us, if That's you're right. familiar with that company. Uh, and uh, they brought us some, was it raspberry chipotle That's bacon? That's exactly right. And yeah. it was super oh thick and super awesome. If you yeah. haven't selected bacon. your specialty bacon, that might need to be the one. It's it's pretty artisan. Please give me some email link to that. I will. Yeah. That sounds I'll great. I'll do you one better. I'll get you some for free. There you I'll go. I'll take care of it for <laughs> what, you. What is that link again, though? Is it meaderyminnesota.com? Yeah, meaderymn.com. Dot com. Yep. Okay. Yeah, so they, listeners, there you super. go. There's a free plug for you. It's awesome. There you go. Local local uh, company so very very important uh yeah. very very I, I suggestion for you yep uh for the next uh it's called the pork congress mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. uh potential release a couple live hogs within the hallways you chase them down <laughs> maybe david kim's a part of it with all of his army experience or pencil push in maybe we just be a go. pencil <laughs> you have to stop the hog catch the hog and then butcher it right on the floor aaron we can do and then piglets. cook it up <laughs> very cute a <laughs> lot, lot more people would be offended Noctuous. by that but <laughs> i'm just giving you ideas you roll with them however you wish so i really appreciate that. we'll leave it up to wes he's the marketer <laughs> give him a tough project say Peter will be there too i'm sure they'll love it. they're not my friends but uh, funny. 
right. Oh, no, crazy. this is all funny stuff. Um, so I was going to say, well, egg, obviously, being in, in the area that we are, David, egg, agriculture is, is huge, a huge uh, part of what you guys do and who you represent and whatnot. But looking at and preparing for this podcast with you, I mean, man, you guys with Gislison and Hunter have a plethora of areas that you specialize in and you personally have been a part of over the 20 plus years that you've been practicing attorney um, from mergers and acquisitions, which I'm curious about, you know, M&As um, to, you know, trademark registration, trademark maintenance and enforcement, uh, trade secret protection, things like that. Um, I mean, how do you, do people are at this point coming to you because of the relationships you've built as far as um, asking for your services in those in those areas because you're talking 200 to 500 million dollar transactions on a lot of these uh, these situations. Can you sh- speak on that a little bit? Yeah. So thank you, Aaron, for that. Um, again, uh, Guess as Hunter is a very unique, oddball kind of a firm, and a lot of people question to us, why are you guys here? Um, there's a lot of, uh, you know, background of that question. Some, some background of that might be, um, you probably should be in some other place rather than this place, but then you're here. What motivation or what secret motivation do you have? So I actually encounter a question like this quite often. Yourself I mean, personally or the company? Personally, okay. yes. Um, but my answer to that is going back to my earlier commenting on who we are. We are rather pretty, you know, simple, down to earth. We look for probably um, very straight, straightforward uh, proposition, which is... Um, so... When I was first hired at the firm, right after interview for about 40 minutes, what I ended up going doing was got an invitation to one of the partner's house. This was, say, 1.30 p.m., and we started singing hymn sings together over Johnny Walker Red <laughs> with water in it. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, a unique interview process <laughs> right there. It was. And so to give you some perspective, there was no boundary lines in terms of defining or expressing who we are. If you are a, a, a core Christian and your pathway is driven by that belief and faith, uh, unlike many other workplaces that I... Uh, was exposed, and that was one of the reasons why I couldn't stay inside of the Chicago system was because of that demurring. You cannot say that. Though, no, no, you are not supposed to say that word. Um, what what really freed me up here was that there is no such boundary line. So, um, not don't get me wrong. Not all of us are that way, but certainly a number of us are that way. And in that regard, that empowered me to stay here uh, as a core Christian, uh, wanting to express and uh, my uh, religious freedom uh, and practice that part. So, uh, 
when I encounter a question like what I was earlier referring to, what's your secret motivation to be here? Number one, that bothers me. Number two, that also frees me up from, yes, the perspective of that's a natural possibility. Why, as a Korean dude who probably has some investment banking career, who could probably be at some a little bit larger firms in bigger cities, and typically isn't the case that the Koreans or some other Asian folks want to be in the bigger cities and then enjoy some other blah, blah, blah. As compared to our family, we are hardcore churchgoers and deeply rooted inside of this local culture, uh, all my kids and my wife and myself. So what's your secret motivation? Well, simply put, I can understand that question, but then actually, uh, I am the secret. Well... I really want to bless, uh, work with a lot of great capitalistic, resourceful people. It resonates my body and my heart because it's so fun to work with those people. And so that, that was a secret. So ended up uh, going through a lot of, uh, you know, from the dollar amount-wise, pretty big numbers. But then... Uh, uh, some transactions that probably other firms in locality may not have even thought about. So as an example, I ended up assisting a client who didn't actually have that background or ability to build up a biotech company. But then, uh, not just my, myself, but then I ended up uh, connecting the dots, his idea to a the right faculty who can enrich and actuate those ideas to multiple items of patents, U.S. patents and international patents. And we ended up creating a very unique vaccine product. And then uh, after about 15, uh, maybe four, 13, 14 years of, uh, you know, developing. So it sounds like what Ellen... Elon Musk is doing is not that much different from those uh, my clients in southern Minnesota are doing. Uh, maybe a little bit less number of zeros at the end, of, but then still impactful, powerful from local economy point of view. So, I mean, the company ended up selling itself at pretty significant number to a publicly traded company. Um, so I earlier mentioned about swine industry, agriculture, but then what comes with that also is the significant, significant role and importance of southern Minnesota being the epic center of uh, medical and food, uh, nutritional side of R&D, to say the least, education. But then this resource that the resources that we have, the natural and potentially a uh, human resources that we can actually draw from University of Minnesota, University of Iowa, Iowa State University, all surrounding uh, land-grant colleges and private colleges within about 100-mile radius from Mankato. If you think about the location of Mankato in a very, very uh, geographically uh, uniquely positioned, I think that there is some... God's calling or 
mission that we can actually seriously look into and then expand. As an example, um, so the biotech uh, company example was a prime example of a collaboration of a capitalistic, at the right time, uh, right mind, with a uh, linked to a right resources from University of Minnesota faculty uh, or group of faculty members who can, uh, you know, look into a great idea and turn that great idea to a great product. And what came with it was a huge success. It was a breakthrough biotechnological advance. So that was large and big enough so that a publicly traded company ended up paying uh, tens of millions of dollars to acquire that. So it was not just the one example. There have been a few examples similar to that. So um, this region can actually look into seriously about how do we collaborate with those natural and human resources uh, we have some geographic advantage, I believe. This uh, place is being at the center of that possible circle. So from the uh, greater Mankato growth point of view, regional development uh, point of view, I thought that the, uh, if we can somehow bring some uh, really catalytic, eventful, whether it's a business entity or some collaboration, public-private uh, intersection, and bring that here somehow, and then somehow be able to make a, a, a huge splash in terms of, let take an example of R&D Center. Uh, R&D Center having a startup, pretty significant capital, whether that is going to be through some sort of uh, 50C3 donation type of a uh, money or somewhat of a uh, R&D facility of a for-profit enterprise. I mean, there are a ton of for-profit enterprises who will be willing to pay tens of millions of dollars to enhance their own products or uh, future R&D part in southern Minnesota and somehow be able to connect the right talents from the cities or local colleges that we have around Mankato, North Mankato area, um, and somehow be able to create this uh, huge, catalytic, uh, explosive. And then we bring, um, which I hope or envision, that can bring our population growth from where we are at to, say, 150,000. Now, you have a interesting, possibly mega level of starting on something that we have never seen before. What comes with that is going to be all the surrounding supporting industry and service sector will follow with that. Now we have bigger need of housing, so construction businesses will explode with that. All the banks will be also coming through all the other service sectors, including accounting firms and law firms or advertisement firms and closings retail? and everything else, retail. Hospitality? If you build it, they will come. So, that. That's a good quote. 
what I was thinking was that let's take a look at what we are really good at, what we can really do well. And then one thing that I can certainly emphasize is that we have a great company, a, a lot of great companies already in Mankato, North Mankato, Taylor Corp being one, um, and a number of other, Mayo Clinic being another. Um, but also still, we have this unli- almost unlimited resources that we can have and basically utilize. And that is going to be somewhat related to the food, uh, maybe bioenergy, and uh, medical technology. And link all of that and uh, use Mankato, North Mankato area as the epicenter of that explosion. So uh, I believe that GMG is going through some regional strategic planning. Uh, we have been going through that for a uh, year plus right now. And I, I think that um, we are getting to the point of uh, seeing a, a lot of uh, positive uh, outcomes coming out of that effort. And the next uh, stage that I'm really looking forward to uh, as a fruition or outcome of that is that uh, define a, a one or two really impactful, uh, tangible projects and the whole community stand up to support that area and direction and see whether or not we can actually move from today's footprint of less than 100,000 population to aim at toward middle or pathway to 200,000 population. Well, it would certainly be impressive if, if we can actually get that type of a project to happen. And I think that uh, GMG is certainly trying to lead the charge through that visioning project. And I think Green Seam is becoming a bigger and bigger evident piece of what that final result is likely to look like. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, when it comes to your practice area, obviously you're touching a lot of different businesses. You have spoken extensively on the agriculture and swine industry. You see this intersection of how all of the economy moves together. I come at it mm-hmm. from the restaurant standpoint, right, David? So I, you know, growing up, it was really fun because whenever the farmers were doing well, we were doing well as a restaurant. They, they would come to town and eat more often, right? So yes. we've been really fortunate as an economy uh, or as a community because our economy is somewhat insulated to what happens in the rest of the world because we have this extra cushion of our agricultural economic base. That is absolutely true as well. And it's been wonderful. And I, I think that building on that strength makes a lot of sense. And so I'm glad that that's... Uh, something that we're, we're working more strategically towards as a community. Was that something that you knew that you wanted to get involved in or have a say in when you got involved with GMG originally? I mean, how long have you been on the board now? Yeah, so I've been on the board for, this is, this is my fourth year. Um, yes, that is true. Uh, uh, that was specific angle that I wanted to be part of the GMG. And... Um, since day one, uh, well, probably I wasn't that much impactful or effectful, but then I'm trying my best to be a little bit more nuanced and pusher toward that direction. But yes, uh, the, the probably the, the only reason why I wanted to become a member of the GMG board was to, how, what can I do to voice up more meaningfully so that 
a lot of moving parts can be actually connected into one single unified action that can lead to this fruition of some noticeable outcome at some point of time. We all start from ground zero, voice up, idea. Somebody has to come up with the idea first, and then we will all contribute. Wes will be contributing, Aaron will be contributing, David will be contributing, and put some muscles to it. And now suddenly it becomes a, you know, live hog or something <laughs> that may walk by itself, hopefully. So um, I believe I, I'm a big believer of uh, human ingenuity and creativity. I believe that God created all of us, not only just equally, but with every bit of different ta- talents. Um, and the, the, the secret sauce there is allow the environment where all the people can come in and open up their heart and their opportunity and contribute. I think that the setup of that freedom and free thinking is not only going to be fun, but also that is going to be almost necessary for our survival in this environment, whether politically or geography, um, um, you know, scientifically or whatever else. Uh, we're going through obviously very very tough time in uh, economy and you name it. Um, a, a lot of people are predicting, unfortunately, a little bit tougher to 2024. And so I just got a call from uh, yesterday. I was having a call with my uh, daughter, and then we just talked about how bad. So uh, some good things come from the East Coast, but then also very bad things come from the East Coast as well. So she was uh, sharing with me what she's hearing from uh, investment banking sector in uh, East Coast, New York area. And then so they went through uh you know a couple of rounds of layoffs since last year and this year but then they're expecting about twice or three times bigger potential layoffs Oof. upcoming next couple of months so Ouch. that is a signal of possibly uh significant economic uh turmoil in front of us so we don't know what maybe next year yeah. but well, the mergers and acquisitions have certainly slowed down because of the uncertainty. Mm-hmm. IPOs have completely stopped with the exception of ARM and you know, right. just very, very limited transactions there. So I imagine that that particular industry sure. is very much in a gridlock in Correct. comparison to the rest. But I mean, everyone is also just pausing on right. investments because interest rates are so high and uncertainty is still there. So, yeah, I suppose yeah. that's true. But, I mean, so certainly, I mean, but we have been through probably oh. – not just this round, but then uh, our you know fathers and grandfathers went through a lot of even more significant or deeper uh, economic and non-economic issues. But the point here is that that doesn't actually it matters, but it doesn't matter <laughs> at the end of the day. Yeah. What matters is that uh, what can we do together? Right. Um, I think that in terms of that unity, power of the unity, um, GMG and Green Sim. I believe had both entities and then a number of other, I mean, uh, affiliate entity like CCP 
have done such a great, tremendous jobs. Uh, it's not perfect. It has not been perfect. We all acknowledge that, but then nothing is perfect. Uh, I think that, but then at the end, uh, at the same time, a num- I, I really appreciate a lot of leaders in this community, including you too. Uh, a lot of people, uh, you know, generously not only giving the capital resources, but then their talents, and most importantly, sharing their warm welcome and uh, encouragement with each other. Probably that means more than anything else. So um, I, I really appreciate what you guys are doing in this podcast also as a part of that. I think that this is really good spirit uh, supporting the whole vibe of the community. And you probably started this podcast at the really perfect time. And I really hope that you guys continue on this thing with some a little bit of uh, higher nuanced and defined uh, mission statement. It's It's been going really well, and we're thankful that people like yourself come on the, the podcast, David, and tell us you know your story and open up about it because there's a ton of people in this community very connected with each other, but I think there's also layers, right? And we all get past a layer or two, but it's sometimes the third, fourth, and fifth layer, for example, that really get to know people and what their motivation, their drive and their passions are that end up creating partnerships and more investment into the community because people realize, for example, Wes and I have had a goal of wanting to open a speakeasy. Now, whether that comes to fruition or not, regardless, you know, that's, that's a couple layers down or a few layers down, but we have a passion for drinking cocktails. Surprise, surprise. Um, (laughs) so we think, you know, maybe this would be a cool thing to open up in our community. Now that's small potatoes comparative to the big agriculture numbers we're talking about before. But if you don't get to know people and their stories and all you know is their title, you don't get the deeper levels of what really drives them and what could continue to push the envelope forward. Well, and I think when we started out, we always intended to get stories. That was the entire idea is get deeper into these individual stories. But the thing that we've both picked up on and I think picked the ball up on as we've developed this podcast is this need to have a deeper conversation beyond the individual into the community Mm -hmm. itself and say, okay, what is happening? What is your perspective on what's happening? What do you think needs to be happening? How do we move the ball forward collectively? And that's always been something that's just been a growing kind of subtext of a lot of our conversations on the podcast. And it's one that's, I think, more exciting for even our guests, right? Because we get to look forward a little bit. And back is always fun. It's nostalgic. But forward, there's unknown possibilities. There's things that we'd like to see, but things we don't know how they're going to shape out. Right. And it feels a little bit, even if we're grandiose, and maybe, <laughs> maybe uh, you know, a little too far forward thinking of this, that maybe we could have a say on it. But I think these kinds of conversations are where it starts. And we're just grateful that we've got guests that are willing to come on that have the ability within their industry and and with their colleagues and their organizations to be able to help make those potential ideas a reality and and continue to just shape you know how the community looks and feels and how we operate as a as a community so yeah that's great i mean there was no script no nobody received any so to speak music score to sing the same song but then what you're saying 
was is that kind of unbeknownst to me, unbeknownst to a lot of people, we're kind of singing the same song. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? More similar than different. We all, right. we all are, you know, and this kind of gives a human aspect to people so outside of titles. If you think about the, the perspective of it is that maybe uh, we, we have been blessed about this, you know, a little bit relatively smallness of this community. So we are small enough to sing the same song without even winking or talking to each other. Uh, we see the same needs. We uh, look at the same directionally. We are looking at the same goals together because we're small enough so that a lot of folks, a lot of community leaders kind of know each other and then we share the common uh, values. Uh, if this becomes too large, probably there will be some sectors and divisions and all fun, funky stuff that comes with it. But at least the good news is that we are possibly in one pot together in uniform, in harmony. So that's, that's a really great opportunity for us to expand therefrom. And absolutely, you guys are part of that, uh, you know, catalystic move. So keep up the good work. Thank you for that. Appreciate that for sure. Yep. Yeah, it's a good it's a good community, both both local boys. So we absolutely have a passion for that for sure. Going back to just just jumping back for a moment because I was thinking about it a second ago. But do you still have family in Seoul or in South in South Korea? Yes, I do. And um, do you, you go back often or every so well, often? You you make me guilty about that topic. Take it, Aaron. Careful. <laughs> You've got family members that are listeners, so be accurate yeah. here. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. Um, well, so I have to blame COVID or Dr. P- <laughs> Dr. So and so. I should probably say his name, but uh, we all know who. Yeah. Uh, well, so uh, I wasn't able to make it to see my parents for five years because of COVID, uh, but then finally I. I did go there this June of this year uh, uh, to only find find out that, uh, unfortunately, my parents are much in worse shape than I imagined, so that was a bad news. But, um, yeah, so uh, my folks are still there. Uh, my wife's side, quite a bit uh, over here, and uh, as I said earlier, uh, my brother, brother-in-law uh, is now in Michigan, uh, not in Milwaukee anymore, but um, my sister, I have a sister uh, who happened to be, uh, when she was uh, in high school, uh, she was a, a professional bowler. Oh. And then I still remember that she was bowling, and I would say on average 280 or above. Damn. Wow. Yeah. So... I carried quite a bit of her bowl bags for her. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. So, um, yes, I do have some relatives and my uh, direct folks uh, still uh, living in South Korea, aging. And certainly that's a part of a human journey, I guess. But, yes. Yeah. How old are your parents? Uh, both of my parents are exactly at the same age, 84. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. The brother-in-law is in a 
Packer fan, is he? Is he uh, <laughs> the football? Highly or? doubt. Okay, good. He cannot be. <laughs> there you go. Okay, just we decided he can't be. There you go. Correct. He cannot be. <laughs> Better not be. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good. Oh my goodness! Do you get into any sports around here, or any of? Do you have children? I guess I should ask that. You and your your wife. You um, said you you said you have a daughter that's in NYC. I, uh, yeah, we knew that, but NYU. do you have correct yeah. NYU? So she yeah she is in the banking business now, graduated okay. NYU, and then I have a son who graduated from West High School. Okay, and then he was deeply in the robotics, but then so oh, sure. he picked it up. Uh, well, s- since he was little, I knew that he's going to be some kind of a like uh some sort of a mechanic called driven career path uh you know pathway so um he ended up going to northwestern uh in chicago and so he, he's a freshman at college right now this year graduated from Mankato west high school so i have two kids um i cannot probably say that i am athletic at all <laughs> so I enjoy playing golf, so uh, still uh, struggling. My wife commented that, well, whenever I say to her that, well, I'm getting better, uh, her immediate comment is that, better be after paying 20-plus years of golfing. <laughs> that, <laughs> husband, that is a minimum level, isn't it? <laughs> so, but I, I do enjoy uh, playing a couple of rounds of golf. Uh, probably, and then as uh, Wes commented earlier, I kind of enjoy going to the gym and yeah. working out on. Um, Not just working out; you attack the I machines. Dave. Actually, <laughs> it's aggressive, I, man. I do not remember that, but I actually I would really prefer having some going to uh, some sort of a uh, martial art uh, opportunity if opportunity comes up. Maybe at even my age attending some martial art schools and yeah, there's you know, sparring a, with people. And then I really enjoy knocking out people. Yeah. I'd like to hit you around too, David. And there's a gym that I think just opened up not too far away that does a little yeah. bit of that. So I'll send you the link. Cause I've thought about <laughs> signing go. up for it. And if you sign up, I'm in, I would pay money to see you two spar. Oh, I thought you were going to oh say you would join, in God. which case oh, I would oh. definitely uh, join. Can, can I, you think about doing <laughs> podcasting while we're sparring on the, you know what? Uh-huh. This is the thing. So Mankato, as you've probably learned, David, loves to do nonprofit driven events, right? They love sure. to raise money. Go. This oh. is like old school, like they've been doing this for years. Why sure. haven't we done some sort of like, let's have a fight to raise money? Is that a little too rough for the nonprofit industry? <laughs> I think so. sometimes you get that Midwestern mentality, you know, yeah. that might say it is, but... I yeah. mean, hey, if it raises a lot of money, I, um, I think I go would. back to the agriculture thing and the swine thing and how big, you know, um, hog production is around here. Punch the punch the pig, you know, uh, but then you might get in trouble for that, too. Yeah. Don't say know. the word punch the pig. That, that's no, no, no. <laughs> is, that a, is there a deeper meaning to punch the pig? No. Oh, OK. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just love that when David's talking about firm culture, they're talking about how they make their pork chops. And yeah. it makes yes. a lot more sense when you know how big the oh, industry yeah. is to you guys. Yeah. I can probably say this word or his name. His name is Matt Berger and he's yeah. a great cook and chef and He's absolutely, uh, uh, you know, you know, very pronounced. Uh, you know, he cares about how to cook. Yeah, and probably speaking of that, what you just talked about, mm-hmm. uh, 
Mr. Berger is the one who will be going uh, second by second in terms of cook time, and then inch by inch uh, or millimeter by millimeter of the depths of the uh, loin and fat mm-hmm. and the parts and everything yeah. else. So, but. I get to enjoy being a partner of my wonderful cook chef partner. So. Heck yeah. Well, tomorrow morning at 7.30, I get to go to South Central College, and I'm working with Compart Family Farms on doing some photography of hams. And we've got Chef Tim McCarty from some Rochester uh, country sure. club coming over to prepare it. And the amount of technology that goes into swine uh, production and, and raising swine, it's just amazing. They ultrasound their pigs to figure out the marbling level and the genetic breeding lines are Correct. continually improved upon year after year. And it's just, it's an amazing process when you actually wow. get the behind the scenes view of it. And now this, you know, family farm that's based mm-hmm. out of Southern Minnesota is selling into Caesar's Palace, Manny's Steakhouse, Disney. I mean, just massive white tablecloth environments and, wow. and selling premium pork products. Is that and the Duroc? Yeah. They're the ones who, that's like their so, specialty breed, And right? they were like the first ones or one of the very first ones to really work on that genetic line. And then everyone in the market said, oh, well, that's selling really well, so we should copy that. But, I mean, they've got the real genetic history behind it and, and a better product by far. Damn. But it's just a really fun... Um, thing to know is right here in our own backyard and how lucky we are. Wow. That so if you, right. if you punch that pig, then cash just comes out, <laughs> right? And it's like a pinata. Yeah. So that's like how that. big, that's how big. I can visualize is that. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I met actually Jim Comfort and Diana Comfort last yeah. week. Oh, sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, very lovely folks. They are. Down to earth, great people, great, mm-hmm. uh, owner, entrepreneur, Yes, I mean, Comfort Durag is probably one of the most well-known brand, uh, you name it. I mean, probably somewhere in East Coast, down, I mean, absolutely Minneapolis, Des Moines area, top restaurants carry uh, Comfort Durag pork chop and at the top dollar of their menus. And he's rocking and rolling, Jim is, uh, you know, exporting to a number of other countries including south korea and china and japan we were just translating brochures for them this week we we were working on the print project for it right now so go go compact yeah no it's (laughs) it's really fun but uh you know one thing that i'm just going to take a quick moment we've got another sponsor to talk about is cbc fisher group that's coldwell banker commercial fisher group for folks that don't know they're a local real estate firm here in mankato minnesota that services all of southern minnesota And, you know, they're really the experts when it comes to all things real estate. So whether you might be looking to buy or sell, uh, lease, or even develop a property, CBC Fisher Group has a team of experts that are really fantastic to be able to reach out to. And whether it's just picking their mind or helping you view properties or consider concepts and figure out what's viable within the marketplace, they're the experts to go to. So I encourage everyone to reach out to them. And also, one of the things that I know that they're really interested in growing is the investment side of real estate. I think all of us, you know, we, we get these grandiose visions, especially when we're talking about community. How can we be a bigger part of the development within our own community? Maybe we don't have a million dollars to throw at a project. I know I certainly don't. Uh, but maybe you have 25000 
right? I mean, that's an easy starting point for, for some professionals. So if maybe you've got that sum of money sitting aside, you can be a part of some of these bigger projects if you reach out to the folks at CBC Fisher Group. They've got ways of getting you into deals that are larger than that um, to make sure that uh, you, you have opportunities, whether it's apartment buildings, uh, commercial office complexes, you name it, they've got some really great uh, professionals over there that can help find those opportunities, those deals for you, and pull pool money together. So, you know, make sure to reach out to cbcfishergroup.com and get more information. Nailed it. Thanks. I wanted to ask before we get too far, because we're nearing the end of this podcast too, David, um, what's it like to represent somebody on a trademark, um, like a trademark uh, registration or trademark maintenance, you know, the kind of enforcement when somebody says they want to do that? What is that, what is that like? So trademark is probably second best way to uh, monetize your intellectual property. The first one, obviously, as typical, would be some, some, some sort of way of patenting. Patenting uh, your unique uh, way to, um, say, produce some products or some unique ingredients that goes into the magic booze and that uh, <laughs> makes your life three times more potent and enjoyable. <laughs> if you can come up with that, you can probably uh, be a trillionaire in two seconds, that kind of <laughs> patent. But short of that, a lot of, uh, especially the service-oriented people or businesses don't have that uh, opportunities because they are not dealing with, uh, you know, you know, gadgets or widgets that goes into their products, more so services. And, and a lot of, uh, unfortunately, the uh, service areas are not really patentable under what is called uh, U.S. Patent Law Section 101. Sounds like 101, but then 101, <laughs> what, what, what it says is that 1 plus 1 equals 2 cannot be patentable because it's a genetic idea, any formula or even naturally occurring materials in the nature cannot be patented. So service sectors, our even lawyers and accountants, and uh, you know, if you design a wonderful uh, shirt or uh, some garments that can be a, well, let me take it back. If you can come up with some garments that makes you invisible, <laughs> maybe that can be patentable. If you have any tips, I'm open-minded. After a couple of more of these, maybe. Amen. Yes, there you go. So for those service sectors, uh, the way to protect your boundary lines could be actually found inside of the trademark area, especially when uh, you're known in this area. So, mm -hmm. so uh, as an example, uh, auto media group. So, I mean, it already... Uh, pretty well-established name tag in the this particular sector. So, uh, although, so over time, when time passes with your usage of your own name inside of that particular service sector, first of all, common law 
meaning any state law can give you or will give you a what is called common law trademark right without any registration whatsoever. But uh, the downside of just relying on common law trademark is going to be down the road. It's hard to prove when you start using it, when there is a competition, uh, when there is somebody who is copying you. Typical argument will be that guy will be saying, well, I studied auto media group before you West <laughs> Auto studied. So then you have to, uh, it's a game of proof. So um, the next step that you can think about is going to uh, two types of registrations. One would be state registration. The other might be U.S., federal level. Not many people even think about state level reg uh, registration. So you go to United States Patent and Trademark Office and apply for a uh, trademark registration. Then you, can't, you, you have to put together some application form and you have to basically showcase that the first date of use of your mark with a what is called specimen of use. So a specimen that engraves the auto media group and submit it. In, you have to choose a uh, international class for trademark or service mark. There are about 38 classes. And then you have to describe what type of services that you are going to be registering. So some sort of a, uh, any type of promotional media content production. And then if you uh, successfully register your trademark, then what it is is that uh, legal monopolization of auto media group inside of that international class and service sector. So down the road... Aaron shows up and then starts using Aaron. Uh, I'm sorry, sorry. Maybe Aaron uh, shows up and then uses auto media service. Well, West Auto can actually send out what is called cease and desist notice to Aaron saying, stop using it because. Shut up, Aaron. There you go. <laughs> or I'll come after you. Well, then Aaron may say. Or I'll send. I'll send David Kim after you. <laughs> so, which would be the enforcement part of trademark, right? Correct. So, is there a famous um, case that you, you personally, or Gisselson and Hunter has represented a trademark enforcement case? Yes, that lasted many, many times. Really, what would be the most famous if you could share that's already resolved? So um, probably it's a case uh, that has been resolved many, many years ago. So, but still, uh, we owe our uh, as attorneys ethical duties to our clients and such. So I would not probably go in detail, but son then, of a. I tried, Wes. I tried. <laughs> so I can say this much. We were deeply involved in the trademark dispute between two renowned outlets using farm and fleet, the two words. And you there can you probably go. imagine. So that was a pretty significant landmark case. And so our firm represented one of those two. So it was actually a battle between Minnesota versus Wisconsin. Ooh, Ooh. so got even more heated. Exactly. <laughs> Minnesota <Yeah>. won. <laughs> so um, so uh, actually, 
Yes, we we do quite a bit of the defense work on the CZN disease notice. Uh, also, we do go out and then enforce our clients' uh, trademarks judiciously. So, in some of those, uh, including egg sectors, a lot of like bags and supply components that come comes with the benefit of the uh, name recognition. I mean, what it is is that. General consumers tended to link the quality to the branding. And so branding is sometimes equal to consumption power. And there are folks or gangs who try to abuse that or steal that. So we're kind of a policeman who are trying to actually stop those things from happening. So that's the trademark component. Do you specifically work on that area of law or do you have other partners that are? I do actually specifically, I am actually actively working on two cases right now. Yeah. Okay. Good to know. Yeah. I, I occasionally, you know, given my own industry, have cases where that comes up, whether it's folks that want to protect their own IP or, mm-hmm. um, you know, just have questions related to it. And I have a friend at Merchant and Gould in the city that I've, kind of worked with in the past, but now that I know that sure. you're an individual that I can refer to, sure, I'll be sending folks your way. Anytime. Appreciate it. Yes. But Aaron, why did you come up with that question? <laughs> you know, honestly, David, and uh, I don't say this very often and admit this to our wonderful listeners uh, and viewers, but I have no freaking clue. <laughs> I just, as Wes has known me long enough, I I just tend to, you know, a lot of times say what pops into the old noggin up here. Okay. I mean, I did have some notes, but I just, what actually what I was doing is. Homework. Well, I did do a little homework, but I was looking at what was interesting to me and I, you know, mergers and acquisitions. And then I was looking at trademarks and, you know, you, you see so often, you know, we're looking at this bottle of Fiji water right here. There's, there's a trademark logo on there. Um, and it just always was curious to me, like how that worked and, and how companies apply for it and how they fight off other brands to get the rights to do that continually. And a lot of them, you'll see a lot of brands today, um, newer, it seems Mm -hmm. because it takes time, right. To get a proof for these, it takes effort, money, time. Um, some don't have a trademark logo on there at all. When you look at certain brands and you wonder, gosh, somebody, this is good. Somebody could just try to copy this. Right. And so I don't know if it's just that those people haven't thought that or somebody hasn't come up to try to steal it or if it's just too much money to apply for it. No, right. no clue. That's why I was kind of wondering what the backstory is on some of this I stuff. See. So the, oftentimes called as trademark R mark. Mm-hmm. So same thing or not really? anybody who has a registered trademark has a duty to make the public know that you have the registration. So before you're, trademark is registered, you cannot use that R mark, but you can use TM, the cute little TM oh, okay. mark. So okay. when you, whenever you see the TM, that means that mark has not yet been registered at United States Patent and Trademark Office. But once you get it done, you, you have an obligation to use the R mark. So, so every, so after you get it registered, uh, every now and then, so the eighth between eighth and ninth year, you have to file some sort of a affidavit with the USPTO saying that I have continuously used this 
this mark, and there has not been any uh, contestant out there uh, contesting against my, my registration, and you have to file that. So in conjunction with the filing, you have to state and certify saying that I actually made the word public known that I am the owner of this registration. So that R mark is almost a must if you have that registration done. But the backside of it is that if you don't have the registration done, you, if you use it, that's actually uh, illegal. Um, but the TM, you could do it. The TM the is TM almost to say it. we were the first mover on yeah. this brand Correct. Or, or to scare, maybe just scare somebody mm-hmm. else away from getting the idea to try. Correct. Or just for fun. I can trademark it's a, it's David. A, it's Kim. a flex. <laughs> it's kind of a flex. Right? Correct. I just <laughs> you should trademark David Kim. You trademark David Kim. I'll build you a website. We'll have a lot of fun. With that. Okay. With my okay. guitar. So. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I think there'd be a cool logo with that. I think you'd really do something with that. The yep. guitar and everything. They got the stars right here already, Wes. I mean, could work. I like it. What do you think, my my friend? I'm good. All right. Well, unless uh David, you have any other pieces of wisdom you want to spew to our, our wonderful listeners and viewers, we'll get into the final five tonight here with you. Uh, which is uh we call the wind down. Wind down. The, the wind down brought to you by our good friends at Chankaska Creech Ranch and uh, Chankaska Creech Creech. Oh my goodness, Wes, I'm failing. Chankaska Creek <laughs> Ranch Winery and Distillery. It's a tongue twister. You got it. And sometimes I mess it up, depending on how much wine or bourbon or spirits I've had. Are you ready? Yes. DK. Does anybody call you DK? There we go. Okay. Here we go. All right. Question number one. Talked a lot about your musical interests and passions, right? And about Mm -hmm. uh, your early days and and all that into rock and roll music. If you had a band, let's say you dropped everything else today and you decided to pursue that band and playing your guitar, what would you name that band? MME. Wow. He didn't have to think about that one bit. MME. Yes. And so it stands for something, I'm assuming. It stands for music, management, entertainment. It's, it's a really wonky name, but then that, that's the name that I have been living with in my head. Okay. Which I have not pulled out. Actually, I did make a logo with MME with a guitar in the middle, just like a snake. Have Maybe you, at some point in the time, I will show that to you. Have you uh, TM'd that or art it, uh, trademarked it? Uh, As I told you before, I have not <laughs> used it, so I cannot TM it okay. or I cannot art it. <laughs> uh, funny. Um, <laughs> MME. All right. There we go. I like it. Question number two. Uh, this is a question we've uh, asked other people before, but we had some good conversation about Crater Mankato Growth, uh, GMG, as uh, we were referring to it earlier, my friends. Uh, but Mankato's biggest need, in your opinion? Wow, that's a tough one. I think that we have a lot of uh, nuanced and humble gentleness. I would say I can use a little bit of boldness. I love it. Let's push it. Push the envelope. Yep. Get our, our big ideas out there. Let's be 
a little bit exploring different ideas. We have a lot of capabilities and resources, as we talked about a lot today. Right. Uh, I think we are just a little bit, tend to be lacking that push. So let's be bolder. We're Midwestern modest. I agree. We have just a ton to offer, and we don't really take our swing when we need to. And so it would be great if we did. I like that. Question number three. Favorite movie of all time? Um, I was going to say Rocky Three because I, as we talked about earlier, I'm so fascinated by blood and kicking somebody's butt part. <laughs> <laughs> but also, I have to admit that actually Godfather Three was my all-time favorite good movie it is heck yeah i was gonna i was hoping you weren't gonna say the notebook um and you didn't so that's good not a bad movie okay guys don't judge me all right (laughs) (laughs) but rocky three is better uh question number four david as a drink if you had a drink that described you and your personality and who you are what drink would that be and why um so i really enjoy Mahadri drinking, and a lot of people will just giggle at that comment. <laughs> but describe, I mean, or define what is Mahadri, probably they yeah. will ask that. Um, Seven days a week, one to eight. Correct. But then, so I would say that sometimes this enriching uh, Chenkaska Cabernet, uh, that sort of the uh, cocktails brings me to some a level where really can sit down and relax and really enjoy the the richness of that fruit but then also at the same time I appreciate a lot of bourbons uh, which does have a little bit sweetie but then still um, consumable level of bite but this is what I really enjoy the most, scotch. I'm really? a big, huge scotch fan. I mean, especially the high-end ones. Yeah. A little bit expensive ones. So, What's your favorite bottle? So I believe that I have, cons- I have at least through my, especially investment banking career past, probably explored a lot of expensive ones, like uh, all-time high. Um, Belvini 25 or plus um, but I have settled uh, comfortably with John Yoko Blue which is 18 year old mm-hmm. it's not going to crash my bank account but at the same time I can still really appreciate the depths and the smell and flavor and the enriched component of every bit of that liquid. So that's my all-time number one. So whenever my daughter or my wife have, uh, flies out of wherever and then they hit some quote-unquote duty-free shop, I have engraved in their heads about <laughs> my taste enough so that they can pick up as many bottles that they can pick <laughs> 
I like it. <laughs> so my uh, last, probably two years ago, when COVID, right before COVID hit, uh, my uh, daughter happened to have had a trip to, uh, I believe, China. Uh, and it was a combo of a couple of different Asian countries related to her work. And then when she was flying back, she saw a duty-free shop having a deal of John Yoko Blue at only about 125 bucks per bottle. So he, she snatched two bottles for me. It was not a 750 milliliter one. It was a one liter one. So <laughs> I ended up enjoying both of those bottles for quite a while after that. And now she's your favorite daughter. At, oh, <laughs> yes. That's a good way to Which play. makes sense, but... Question number five with David Kim tonight. The final question of the night. Thank you again Thank for you. joining us and, and having a libation with us from our good friends at Chankaska. Um, it is called purpose. Question number five, purpose. What do you feel with where you grew up, South Korea, South Korea, Seoul, coming here, experience in banking, experience in what you're doing now in law, just having all the experience in life, uh, raising a family, what would you say that if we asked you right now your purpose on this planet is? What would that be? I see only one purpose. God's a kid. Born as a God kid and will die as a God kid. And in between, doesn't matter. Yes, I'm a son of my parents, and I have uh, two kids and lovely wife. Matters the most, anything else compared to. However, still, I'm the son of God. Not Jesus Christ kind of son of God, but I'm certainly, definitely one of the many, God, many sons of God. And I like to fulfill that. And there's no nothing else other than that mission in my life. Part of that may come with something that can be totally surprised. And I'm looking forward to that. Trying to be open-minded, open up my radar screen, what that may be. And I freely talk about this thing with my wife that um, at some point of time, I may go to some place where uh, comparatively not so much blessed and then open up an orphanage and just uh, die out of as a father of two or five or 45 or 500 kids. Um, I don't know. But one thing that I know is that I'm going to die as a son of God. Amen to that. Thank you. Yes. Amen to that as well. Amen to that. Well, thank you for a great answer. Um, and for, again, spending time with us on the Get Deep podcast tonight. Surely appreciate the time. I mean, you're a busy guy, like so many of our guests, and we just are so blessed to sit in these chairs and, and evoke stories uh, from our awesome guests that join us on the Get Deep podcast. So thank you for that. Thank you so much for the invitation. And listeners, thank you so much for tuning in, for watching with David Kim tonight. Um, 
If you have been enjoying these episodes, of course, give us a five-star rating. We'd appreciate that. And really, if you have any suggestions on guests going forward, uh, that'd be cool too because there's so many people in this community. Wes and I have lists, but we forget about some really cool people doing really great things here. So uh, continue to reach out to us and engage in our social media and to share posts and things. And let's keep blowing this thing up to tell the stories of our uh, region.